0: Alan Kring Productions in association with Emergent Light Studio presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium academic lectures in business and economics this is business finance fil 240 for autumn semester 2022 today free cash flow analysis now the homework is optional and for Chapter 12. If you do it, you, it will score. It will count toward your grade. If you don't do it, you won't, it won't count. But uh, the, all that you will be held accountable for is the, um, um, what was I think, what I say in class. So you might want to just do that Cengage homework, but just don't hit that Submit for Grade button. That way you can get some practice, but you don't have to do it for blood. You're on a roll as far as your Cengage homeworks go, and I don't want to see you damage that if you don't want to. So if do the homework, the Chapter 12 Cengage MindTap homework, but don't hit the Grade It, uh, grade it Now button. Just do the, each of them and get it scored so that you can get some practice, because it will be on the final exam. We will have a a relatively brief quiz on Wednesday, nothing tragic or difficult, and then we'll move on. Uh, next week is Thanksgiving week, is that right? Okay. Okay, fine, whatever. Uh, but then after that, we'll come back for two more days, uh, for our several more lectures, and we'll have one last quiz before the end of the semester, a robust quiz to try to get you prepped up a little bit for the final exam. But other than that... Now, I've got a mess here. Uh, Let's have a look at the numbers really quickly here. If I recall right, it wasn't any kind of a spectacular day. Yeah, as you can see, this is one of those not a big whoop de doo day. Notice interestingly enough that the Dow is up the most at a little more than a third of a percent, The S&P 500, large uh, large companies but not as big as the Dow, are up some, a little less than a a quarter of a percent. And then the NASDAQ is barely broken even. We had kind of a bearish morning, but the last of it is a little bit bullish. Now, I had a request for, um, uh, let me see, Eli Lilly. Just give me a minute here. Eli Lilly is 0.36. It is a very safe company, but notice that P-E ratio, overpriced, overvalued. So it's a safe company because Eli Lilly makes medicines, pharmaceuticals, the kind that keep people from dying, kinds of pharmaceuticals like insulin and things like that. So, yeah, it's relatively safe. You're not going to get a whole lot of people, no, I'm not going to buy that, drug, uh, that medicine because I'd like to die. No, this is one of those basics kinds of things. But that P-E ratio is very high, so I would expect that the price is going to shed some ground here. And someone said, look at the five-day. Yeah, it took a, uh, uh, an ass bath. It took a dive right there. But then notice that it has come back up partially. That's one of those, I don't know. This could be the beginning of what's called a head and shoulders, where you have the head here, you have a shoulder, and then you have this head, a fairly small head, and then it could drop back down. Is that what's going to happen? I'd want to look, let's see, out here a year. Rising tops, rising bottoms, this has got good, it's got momentum upward. You see the rising tops? A lot of these technical analysts will actually print these out and draw with a ruler the rises. And so th- there is no long-term, at least an elf, a technical analyst who looks at stock charts, would say this is, a, this is just going to keep going up. Notice that, that what looked like a big steep dive there in the five-day chart in a longer view, that's not really that mu- much, not noticeable at all. So there you are uh just one of those that keep uh keep in the back of your mind this is one that would be good for a portfolio but i would wait for this p e ratio to come back down to earth in the next few weeks might even be good for a a put option uh a bet that it's going to and it's positive earnings geez look at that dividend expensive af that stock is though so uh, You know, if you got a few hundred dollars to kick around, this might be one thing you could do. But as far as other things go, if you were wanting to look at some other companies that are in the news right now, Tesla is beginning to show signs of where it's down. And there are speculators. It was way down early. It took a real big drop. it's been fighting its way back up but it's not finding its ground again there are some analysts who say that musk is finally beginning to show the inner colors that many investment investors just don't understand that these are the kind of people who can make flashy things in the short run but they're not that impressive in the long run if you look over the one year look at that that is not a sign of a good company look at that declining tops declining bottoms that's that's not a good investment at all and with a beta that stupidly high and a pe ratio that stupidly high this is definitely something you don't want to put in your portfolio as a matter of fact i am strongly considering taking some puts taking out puts on it bets that it's going to drop in the next couple of weeks pretty hard so as you can see just because something is flashy and in the news, that doesn't really mean that it's there for the long haul. And sometimes you have to watch these kinds of people to see where they are when they make their marginal, their last decisions, their big decisions. In this case, not too much to uh, be interested in. On the other hand, Virgin Galactic. Losing money, high beta, no dividend. It's a really speculative. Does anyone know what Virgin Galactic does? What do they do? You're nodding your head. What do they do? The just try to reach space, like yeah, the yeah, yeah, the tourism, space tourism and all that. So buy a ticket. I think they cost a million dollars. And uh, you're going to be part of not the Mile High Club, but the uh, 90 Mile High Club. It's much more fun going up than it is going down. If your rockets don't, if your parachutes fail, I've heard. Uh, but anyway, enough of that. <laughs> I put up, by the way, in your resources a practice problem with NPV and internal rate of return and hurdle rate for you, so you can go in. It's got the problem and got the answers to it. So, and I've also, I think. I uploaded an Excel sheet that shows you how to do it in Excel as well. So it's called um, NPV-IRR in your Resources tab. There's a Word document. And I think I uploaded the Excel document to the X, uh, XLS document so that you can have those for some practice. I mean, those aren't really hard at all. But uh, let me give you some insight here. We are coming down to the last. Uh, the the holy grail of the course is free cash flow. What distinguishes us from accounting? Where, why we are the ones that eventually com- companies come to us, the finance people, and they say we make a profit, but we're not well. Something's wrong here. I was told this. As a matter of fact, I had a panel discussion where f- alumni of our finance department had a, had a um, conference where we took, um, we took a bunch of finance students up to a nice um, uh, dinner in uh, Chicagoland, and we had some alumni come, and they told these students, you know, here's how it works out there in the real world and all that. And um, they answered a lot of questions. It was a great... It, those things always are really great. But this one uh, alumnus and sh- alumna, she had graduated like 10 years before, and she was working for Caterpillar. And she said, Caterpillar was in a situation where she and others saw that the company was profitable, and yet there was something really wrong. It was almost like this low-level fever that they were always scrambling for cash. They were all, a large company like that, scrambling for payroll, for God's sake, but we're profitable. What's wrong here? And that's when She and several others from uh, universities like ISU and uh, U of I said you're not looking at the right thing. You're not looking at free cash flow. You're looking at profit. Profit doesn't tell us anything. It's how much money, actual physical money is coming in. And if it's negative, we're having to go somewhere to get that money because it's not like, oh, well, we got a negative free cash flow. With a negative profit, oh well, lol, we'll do better next year. That's not how it works with free cash flow. If you've got a negative $1 billion, all oh, that has to come from somewhere because that money has to pay bills. And so this free cash flow, a lot of companies, many companies are now coming around to talk about free cash flow. We still say profit and those guys on TV and women are always talking about, well, it's profitable this quarter, earnings were up. Who cares? The real investors, the real analysts inside and outside the company are looking at cash. Cash is king. Both short-run, what's called the cash conversion cycle, and the long-run, which is called free cash flow. And I'm going to talk about it. But actually, it's not as boring as you might think it, we talk about in this. Marketing comes into play in this, in analyzing free cash flow. Operations comes into it in managing free cash flow. Let me give you the basic equation of free cash flow, and I've done this several times here. Free cash flow. You take your operating income, which some call EBIT, Earnings before interest and taxes is the same thing. Operating, margin, operating profit, EBIT, earnings before interest and taxes, operating income, they all are the same thing. And then you just take away the taxes on that. And then you add back, you, well, you add back depreciation, and amortization expense. This is the full-blown version. I've given you summaries of this along the way. This is full-blown. And then you subtract out your capital expenditures And then you subtract your change in net operating working capital, NOWC. That, and it's an Excel spreadsheet kind of thing. It's, you put this into Excel, and then you just identify each of the numbers. To do this, you will need the income statement, the balance sheet, and the statement of cash flows. The income statement for the operating income <coughs> Taxes, I'll talk about that in a little bit here. And then you have to add back the depreciation and amortization. You'll find that on the statement of cash flows. It's right there near the top. And then you subtract capital expenditures. That is down, that's the line that summarizes the um, investing activities. And then this one, the change in net operating working capital, you pull that from the balance sheet. Net operating working capital, and get these all down in one compact place in your notes so that it's all there so that you can get it onto your, uh, your uh, help cards for the final, and you can reference it for homework problems. Net operating working capital is current assets minus current liabilities. The change in net operating working capital is net operating working capital for the current period, that's sub-zero, NOWC sub-zero, minus net operating working capital one period back, NOWC with a subscript of negative one. And I mean, if you don't think about it, it's easy to do it. Excel is very helpful at doing this. You just take the numbers and pop them in, and I'll do one of these in Excel on Wednesday. If not today, I might be able to get it done today. Okay, that is the whole thing. And we need this because when we do NPV IRR analysis, we need free cash flow. We don't need profit. We need to get the free cash flows from the project. Project them out, the number of years required, that it's going to survive. Now, a word about, over here, I'm going to put it as a side note. You've got to have a year or quarter or month, however you want to do it. You're going to have your free cash flow. These are going to be projections and you'll have year zero. That's when the big investment happens. And then you'll have your year one, two, three, four. Say it's a five-year project. And you'll have a terminal cash flow. Now, I said that it's terminal cash flow. In this one, make sure you add salvage value. Now, a word about salvage value. I did it simply last week, I'll do it a little bit more realistically this week. With your salvage value, you could end up owing taxes if it's a positive number. Or it could be a, uh, so in other words, taxes would be a a minus on it. But it could also be a positive, let me show you. Salvage, net salvage value, net salvage value is going to be the salvage value minus the tax rate. Well, let, let me, I'm getting crammed up here because of these tables. Let me get over here a little bit. Okay, net salvage value is going to be the salvage value minus the tax on the um, salvage value minus the book value. In other words, if you haven't depreciated away the entire amount, you'll pay tax on that. Give you an example. Suppose that the salvage value, the gross salvage value, you're gonna be able to sell it for $8,000. That's the gross. The net, suppose that that piece of equipment still has a book value. You, you've depreciated all but $2,000 of it. So there's still some left there. So, in other words, 8000 minus, let's say, our tax rate 8,000 minus .21 times 8,000 less 2,000. You have to take that into account. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do this on a test. Just use the gross. It's not worth the aggravation. But if you're going to do the homework, they may actually hit you with that little thing. Okay, now, let's reel all this back for a few minutes, and let's talk about free cash flow. Let me reel this back and talk about free cash flow. You've got, we're going to do this for a project. The first thing is sandboxing, and I've talked about this before. You look at that project in isolation from everything else in the company. You pretend that this is a company of its own. You sandbox it. We'll talk about synergies later, externalities as sometimes they call it. So in other words, it all has to do with incremental. cash flows. How much extra is this going to come, bring in? Incremental cash flows. Now, there are two types of project. Here, in some cases, you have a brand new project, new project. You're going to build a factory, something like that. Or you're going to run an ad campaign. On the other one, there are replacement projects. Now these are a little bit odd because you might want to talk about them as negatives. So for example, I've got a fleet of vehicles. They're diesel, they run on diesel, and the fuel cost per year is, let's say, $200,000. I can go to an all-electric fleet for, let's say, and it will run, the cost per year will run $80,000. So in other words, both of them are creating cost, but you're looking at the cost savings from the one versus the other. So in other words, I'm looking at a savings of $120,000 per year. And then I have to decide how long this fleet will be in business. Then I say, how much does this new fleet cost? And how much will I get from selling the old fleet? So your initial cash uh, cash flow will be the cost of the new fleet minus the, what you'll get from selling the old fleet off, if you get anything at all from it. And then the positive cash, free cash flows will be the savings that you get from the new fleet. And then at the end... You have to say, how long are we going to keep these new vehicles? And you say, okay, they'll last five years. Okay, and five years, we'll dump them. However, we also have to consider salvage value. There will be a positive salvage value selling them, but there will also be a negative salvage value because if you simply have to dispose of them, those are electric, and they are going to cost a fortune to take to a hazardous waste site guarantee you. So, everything is on the board. It gets a little more complicated here with the replacement project. Ideally, you'll come out with a positive NPV, uh, but you might not. So, you know, there's that. So, at the beginning, how much are you going to get for the old one when you sell it and then for the new uh, minus salvage value, uh, uh, rather, how much are you going to get from the old one selling it? Or do you have to dispose of it? And then that'll be a negative minus what you have to pay for the new one. So that'll be your initial. And then the other ones will be all of the positive savings from the new, from the replacement. And then at the end, sell or and or dispose of the replacement at the end of the project's life. So that's a replacement project. They're actually all, not that unusual at all. Matter of fact, um, uh, there's a couple of companies, I've, uh, I know the IT people there, they have to do this when they talk about replacing their printers and replacing their computers. This is a replacement project. <coughs> okay, first things first is Okay, how much is it going to cost to dispose of the old computers, or are we going to just be able to sell them to someone? And then how much are the new computers going to cost? How much will the new computers save us? That gets to be a problem with computers, because part of why you're buying the new computers isn't a direct savings. It is an increased productivity. And so you have to have metrics on how much value you're getting out of the greater speed and power of the new computers over the old ones. It can be a pain in the butt to do those, but we do it. And sometimes it's educated guesses, truth be told. But anyway, getting past that. Okay, now, remember the sandboxing, this incremental. You're going to start with sandboxing. This this has nothing to do with the rest of the company. The free cash flows of this have nothing to do with anything else in the company. But unfortunately, that might not be true, but you've got to be careful about slipping out of the sandbox. On one hand, you're going to have the internal versus the external. And these are externalities, which you, I'm hopeful that they talked about in your economics classes. Internal and external externalities. Internal externalities. They're going to be the negatives, and then they're going to be the positives. On the negative side, uh, cannibalism is the worst one. And I talked about this before in here. Cannibalism. You have got to try your best not to let the new product eat revenues off your existing product lines. It might very well. You just have to try your best to keep that from happening. Cannibalism, you hurt another product line by bringing in this product. And Okay, that's just all there is to it. it it, it happens. Like I said, it's a matter of marketing, price, position, uh, placement, and all that kind of stuff, keeping those products from interfering with each other. That's why you have to get really serious about marketing, segmenting your market for God's sake, geosegmenting, demographic segmenting, psychographic segmenting, Making sure that the products don't bother each other and their sales. I'll give you examples of it in the history of marketing. And I mean I could give you like hundreds of examples, but um okay, cigarettes. A major manufacturer of cigarettes was looking to reach out from the main brands create a cigarette that wasn't a name brand, and they didn't want it to bother the purchases of their regular cigarettes. So they created a cigarette that looked like it was a generic, except that it used the same tobaccos as their fancy ones. And they put it in a very plain-looking 20-pack, and they marketed it very minimally. And the reason they did that was because they saw that there was a lower working class segment of the society that didn't want to pay the high prices, and they also identified as not wanting to look fancy. So they put this cigarette in the uh, gas stations for those people. People who smoke Winston's, Camels wouldn't touch these generics because they taste awful. Well, of course they didn't, but people thought they would. And so only the lower class bought them, and they were successful, able to successfully bring in a brand new product, create brand loyalty for God's sake, and they didn't cannibalize the sales of any of their other brands of cigarettes that were higher brow. Another example was the uh, restaurant chain. They had rest, uh, fast food, f- fast food in uh, quicker restaurants which appealed to a broad general demographic of, of uh, families and individuals. What they wanted to do was to find a way for this newer fast food restaurant to not be for those people. The, restaurant chain, the fast food chain was called Hardee's. And here's how Hardee's did it. They ran advertisements that made fun of families, that made fun of old people. You had an ad where a couple of guys were uh, sitting there. They obviously had a hard day working manual labor, and they sat down, and this family behind them, the kids started leaning over, staring at them. Do you really want that at the end of your hard day? Then come to Hardee's, where we don't have that. They had an ad with a very tough-looking, working-class woman. Simple background. I go to a restaurant to have some real meat, and I just want to pay for that and not be bothered by anyone who isn't like me. Carving those people away. They had uh, one where they had these old guys sitting at a table talking and laughing. Do you really want to be in a restaurant with a bunch of old farts like that? You see how they took this restaurant and they carved it out so that there was no cannibalism on their main restaurant chains, their fast food chains. That's how you keep cannibalizing from happening. It's a marketing as much as anything else. It's marketing. Okay. On the other hand, there's something else. There's called syner- synergy. Synergies. Where products help each other. They assist each other's sales. Buy this and buy that because they go together. That's uh, something that you can do. What you essentially, in a lot of cases, with a, new com- with a new project, you will try in one way or another, not always, but you'll try to latch it on to the ba- brand loyalty of something you already have. The reputation of this brand will spill over into this one this is where you're trying uh, the opposite of what you were doing in the other one in this one you are actually trying to lash branding loyalty on to an existing line and increase the sales in some cases you create a product that cannot be used unless you have the other product okay so for example apple watches Uh, do any of you have an apple watch but not an apple phone no. Synergy is a perfect synergy. That's a, and a, so th- you see this every day in our business lives. You are going to be business professionals. It, it, this is what we do. We have to find all these things that we can do to play the markets to the way that we want them to go. This is all part of consumer choice architecture. So, anyway, external. Go, go over here to this external. This one is. Tough because the book goes into it in a way. Suppose that you make a product that's great, but it creates pollution that makes people sick. You're going to make good money off it. Should I put that into my NPV analysis, this negative externality, or not? That's a tough question. That's a tough call. That's hard as hell. Because, I mean, yeah, people are getting asthma and cancer and all that from my, uh, fr- from my uh, product, but damn, sales are good. Uh, something like that. How do you encapsulate that? Okay, one thing, you can ignore it. The other thing is you can say, yes, it's there, but what are we supposed to do about it? We will improve our technology as we can to make it safer, But that doesn't mean that we say no to the project right off the bat. Uh, Then there is another one. You can consider what's called a liability tail. We're gonna get caught someday. We're gonna get sued back to the Stone Age someday. A billion dollars, $10 billion. But that's not gonna happen today. And the present value of that is manageable. In other words, if I'm going to eventually, I know in 20 years, I'm going to get a class action suit that's going to be $20 billion. Okay, what's the present value at the termination of the project when we kill the project? What's the present value at year five of something that's going to have $20 billion that's going to happen 15 years after that? In that case, it is something that it might be manageable. Yeah, and also negative publicity. What happens if people start identifying our product as being not friendly to the earth? Or it's something that is uh, run by evil people. Uh, How much do you suppose that matters in most situations? Negative social media, how much? Zero. Don't piss yourself just because a bunch of activists Ball about it on Twitter and on Instagram, for God's sake. (coughs) On the other hand, on the other hand, that's, (coughs) excuse me, I think someone's trying to kill me for saying that. (coughs) On the other hand, sometimes you can play that. Yeah, yeah, those people over there, they really hate us for what we're doing. You guys, look at them. You can play it. Who Do you know any famous entertainers who are doing that right now? It's pure marketing. You don't? Oh, goodness. <clears throat> it's kind of the opposite of the East. That's harsh to say that. But in business, nothing is going to be perfect. And anything we do may have a negative, a- negative consequence. And that negative consequence, you have to face it. Is it bad? Is it immoral in some way that bothers me at the base of my soul? Okay, then say no to the project and go find something else to do with your life. But if it's something that's bad, that is manageable, and you have an objective, we're going to deal with it. But first, we have to get started for God's sake. Then it's something that we just put into the free cash flow statement and look at it from that angle. Now, I'm going to do this, and I've, I've done this before, and I want to do it now again, this free cash flow thing. And the, prob- the big problem, and it's kind of politely, the book kind of dances around this, projection. How do you excuse me, how do you project free cash flows? we do it by what are called pro forma income statements and balance sheets. Now, I don't know if you have been shown these yet. Do they show you this in accounting at all, pro formas? You're looking at me like blank, nope, I didn't think so. It's okay, because essentially what you're doing is you're saying, okay, here is our current balance sheet and income statement, and then we need to construct that Going forward from now, for the life of the project, uh, and that becomes kind of a problematic sort of thing, because in there, how 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 do you project? The one thing is, and here's the, this is more back to the narrative part. The first thing, uh, one of the things I heard. More than a few times, in one way or another, when I started a consulting contract, I'd go to meet the people who were going to do some company, some project. I'll give you an example. This was back in the 1990s. There was a company, it was a startup, and they had a technology for making a battery that was high energy density. In other words, it held a lot of power, and it was... Uh, malleable. You could wrap it. You could shape it. They, uh, you could. Uh, the uh, big dog of the company brought in this big, huge sheet of this stuff, and he cut it a couple of times, and then he wrapped a piece around his finger and attached two uh, wires to it, and it lit a light bulb. I just can you imagine a battery that could actually be shaped around a car or a motorcycle or something like that? Or a la- uh, it's, uh, it was kind of an amazing thing. And he said, "This will sell like hotcakes right off the bat as soon as we come out the door with it." Of course, that's not true. It's not even if it's a great project, product, it's going to take a while for the market to embrace this, for the sales to begin to find their own. And of course, once you've got this thing underway, some son of a bitch is going to find a way to knock it off. Well, we'll sue him. Okay, what if this is some manufacturer in China, in Guangdong province, who gets a hold of your design specs and starts producing them? You're going to go over there and sue him in a Chinese court? Well, we'll stop him from selling them here in the United States. Oh, boo-hoo, you don't have the money to even make the full first production line of these. So, in other words, don't think that you're going to make a fortune right away. There's going to be a growth of sales. Revenue is going to climb year over year. We may have a growth rate from this year to next year of 2%. The year after that, if we aggressively market, we may have a growth of 5% more. In other words, you're going to have to be realistic about your projections of revenues. Then you do ratios. Okay, what are the ratios of the wholesale to the uh, uh, ratio of the wholesale cost to the uh, revenues? Well, that's gross margin, okay? We need to see what the industry's gross margins are, and we need to use those as our basis for the percentage of revenues that we're going to subtract as cost of goods sold. SG&A, depreciation. You just use ratios to project each of them down the line until you get there, to where we can take over with finance and do the magic from there. But you still have to do some projections and they have to be realistic projections. And you know, if it falls apart, it falls apart. Your projections were wrong. Well, I did what was industry standard best practices, so bite me. It's not gonna work out. Your projections aren't gonna be that great. Business plans, if you're gonna do a business plan, they are going to want pro formas probably five years out. Matter of fact, I'm teaching a Business 100 class right now, and that's what I'm showing them how to do. Just get some idea for investors of where this project is going to go in your best estimates. And even then, like I said, you'll probably be wrong, but, you know, there's that. But let's... Let's look at, let's do this. And Revenues are another thing, too. In your statistics class, did they show you about what are called time series? Uh, uh, time series is how most companies project revenues. They do it by a time series model. And interestingly enough, Excel has a time series model that you can use in there. It wasn't on the computers here that it used to be. And then someone had the genius, well, they don't need that stuff. And so I had IT guys come over here just last week and they put back in what's called the analysis pack. And that has some hella nice things in it. And I am hopeful I'll have a little time on Wednesday to show you how you can do some decent projections. In other words, best practices, what we do. So if someone assails you and says, well, your projections were off, I use the frickin' best way that's done using the uh time series analysis. So, you know, just do things the way it's being done at the forefront of the industry, and then you got your butt covered, even if it's not good. Okay, so let me show you here. We're gonna do um oh uh Oh, well, let me do this. Uh, I'm going to go to SEC filings, company filing search. And we're going to do filings. I'm going to get the Excel spreadsheets for a company. And don't say Tesla. Do you have one? (laughs) None of you can think of a company? Let's do this. Um, uh, Oh well, I might as well. Let's Netflix and chill. You you saw what I did there, right? Yeah. OK, so let's pull up the 10K. Well, that's getting a little bit old now, but what the hell. And I'm going to get the interactive data, and I'm going to download the Excel spreadsheets. And I know I've done this before, but this is for blood now. This is where it's supposed to be. I've snuck it in several places. And I'm also going to show you some Excel uh, stupid pet tricks, too. Now, remember I said I need the income statement, and I'll need the balance. Really? Oh, statement of cash flows. Where the hell is the balance sheet? Oh, there it is. So here's what I'm going to do. I need these three to do my analysis. So what I'm going to do is I am going to move the cons- statement of consolidated statement of operations. I'm sorry, consolidated statement of cash flows over here. And I'm going to put it right on the right side. Did I do it right there? They've got so many tabs in these. Yeah, so those two are together. Now I've got to go over and find the balance sheet. And there it is. And I'm going to scooch this one over here right beside the income statement. So I have these three right where I want them. And I can grab them, switching very quickly among them. Now the next thing I'm going to do, and this is a strongly recommended thing for you to do. Between the income statement and the balance sheet, I'm going to insert a worksheet where I'll do my calculations so that I'm not putting it in a sheet that has numbers in it where I would be messing it up with this new thing. And I'll even give this a name. I'll call this free cash flow. And now I can go ahead and do a free cash flow. It's not hard, really. Whoops. I wanted that right there. I said right there. Thank you. Okay, so now, what do I need? I need operating income. And by the way, do this with me, and I'll put this up on uh, your resources tab, too. Operating income. Okay, so next I'm going to need taxes. Oh, will you stop it? Really? Okay, fine. Okay, let's try that one more time. It just irritates the heck out of me. Do it this way. There. Uh, Anyway. Okay. By the way, let me stop here. This thing right here, operating income minus taxes... Is called Nopat Net Operating Profit After Taxes. It's Nopat. So I'll get that one. So now I want plus depreciation and amortization expense. And then I will want to take away less capital expen- expenditures, what we really paid for our things, and then minus Our net operating working capital. The change in net operating working capital. Insert symbols. Do I have a delta easily available? Where's my, oh, there it is. And that will give me, whoops, that's a minus on that. Minus. Now, that will give me our, my free cash flows. Cash flow. Whoops. Now, over here, I'm going to do a side calculation. Net operating working capital in the current period Oops. net operating working capital in the previous period. And I'll put the little subscripts on those just to make it look pretty. And I'm doing this as I'm going along, for those of you who have not seen all these little things. One of the ni- thi- uh, something in Excel is that the more you know about these little tiny tricks, the more sophisticated it looks. Your your sheets begin to look. So now we're going to go through and we're going to crank these. Operating working cap, now operating working capital. First things first. I'm sorry, operating income. Equals, and then I'm going to go over here. That would be operating income. I said operate there. Then I'm going to get minus the taxes, okay? So the taxes, I'm going to just do equals that (coughs) times 21%. 21%. My ass equals B1 times 21%. Is that right? Okay. So that will, the pat is just going to be that minus that. Depreciation and amortization expense. That's over here in the statement of cash flows. You'll find it right. The hell is it? Oh, there. Usually that's up a little higher than that. Capital expenditures. Now here's one you have to be careful. This is going to be a negative number. So you have to take the absolute value of it. Otherwise, you'll be subtracting a negative. So I go over here to Statement of Cash Flows. Go down here. Cash flows from investing activities. Net cash used is right there. But see how that's a negative? What I'm going to do is I'm going to use absolute value. ABS, open parentheses. And then I'm going to hit where the hell... There it is. Uh Uh-oh. I did that twice there. There we go. Just be a little cautious of that. I mean, you could just leave it a negative and add it, but trying to keep things look. Now, changing that operating working capital. The net operating working capital in the current period is equal to the current period's current assets, total current assets, minus current liabilities. And then, those in the period before, all you have to do is grab it and pull it over and you get the ones from the period before. Notice something their net operating working capital went from a whopping nearly $2 billion to negative a little less than half a billion. That is a source of cash. Equals, so now change is equal to that one minus that one. If you don't have a methodical mind, this is pretty bad. But if you have a mind that can work just step by step by step, you'll be in good shape. Just do what I'm doing here. Okay, so, hello, kitty. Wow, okay. So, no free cash flow. It's going to equal no PAT plus depreciation and amortization expense, putting that back in minus capital expenditures, minus net operating working capital, this should be a positive number. Whoa, hello. There's a free cash flow. $6.1 billion. They're in good shape. They're in very good shape. As opposed to a lot of companies that I've been doing in other classes. The, I had a, a delegation from a West African country, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. They wanted to see this, how we did this. And so I pulled up another company. I won't tell you which one it was, but I mean, the thing was like bleeding all over the floor. And the one guy in French, he says, is this supposed to be what it looks like? No, I don't think so. Let's try to avoid that. But Netflix here is in really good shape. Now, one thing that... Here's a lazy man. Projections? A lazy person would say, well, let's just apply a growth rate to this damn thing and just project the free cash flow at that growth rate. Okay? Now, it's not a good idea to do it that way, but, I mean, if you're desperate and it's 2 o'clock in the morning and you've got to have a presentation at 7 a.m. the next morning... Well, that morning, one thing you could do is say growth rate of free cash flow. And let's say that they are projecting that the free cash flow will grow at 2.5%. Well, if you were hard up, you could say, okay, equals That, whoops, sorry, equals that times one plus that, and put an absolute so that you can drag this forward and then say, okay. You could do it that way. That's a projections, you know. I mean, like I said, in a pig's eye, but I've d I have i I've honestly done it that way myself when I was desperate for some numbers. But then you just take the NPV. If you got if you're doing this for a performance and you're going to spend money at the beginning, just find the NPV of this mess of numbers. There you go. That's how we do it in a nutshell. And I'll do another one, but What I'll do right now is I'll save as, uh, I'll put in the downloads, Netflix and chill. And then I'll put it up into VeggieNet, and you're all done. That's all I have for you today, I thank you.